0: Good morning. I have no idea who he introduced. I'd like to meet that guy. Uh, so good to be with you today. A great privilege to be with you. Please grab a seat. Some of you are still wondering what to do. Sorry, that was my bad. It, it's so good to be with you here in Cape Town. Uh, I'm, I was saying to, to Jace and Sue earlier that I think it's not right, to be honest. I think it's ungodly that when you arrive to a church, you look over and there's Table Mountain just down the road. We have a beautiful view of pylons. And um, so uh, it, is, it is always a privilege to be in the promised land. Um, you know, I think you guys are going to be disappointed in heaven. Um, it, Cape Town is just, it, it's such a joy to be here. Uh, you know, g- genuinely... Um, it is a privilege. And, I, and, I know, and, I, and can I just say this because it's really important? So often, when, when guests come to a church, it's kind of maybe you sit there thinking, you know, it's, it's really nice for the, the, two, the two sets of pastors to be nice to each other because it would be like the appropriate thing to do. Um, I have no idea who Jason in, introduced because I, 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 I don't know that that's even remotely true. But, but genuinely, the more I spend time with Jason and, and Sue, the more unsaved I feel. And um, so I'm just grateful to, to have a friend that loves Jesus. and. Who uh, helps me to love Jesus a little bit better uh, you know it's, it is it genuinely you, you, you serve wonderful leaders, and uh, it is wonderful to be in a, in, in, in the presence of someone who so cares so deeply about your soul and who is so desperately passionate about making sure that you 're okay and, uh, and, and and that that is rare it 's not common there are a lot of leaders in the world who love big churches and love to to, to have influence, but there are not enough leaders who genuinely care about your soul and you serve Leaders who are genuinely interested in your soul. So thank you again. It's been a privilege to be with you. Um, great, great season that you're busy with. Uh, congratulations, Legacy Church, on your name. And, um, and uh, in our church, we have an expression that legends leave a legacy. Uh, we, we call our volunteers legends. And uh, so it, it, legacies are important, aren't they? And I think what you're doing here in in, in the city of Cape Town, such an important thing. I mean, bottom line is, Joburg is obviously the greatest city in the world. Uh, Cape Town's trying to catch up. I get it. I get it. completely the other way around when Jason was talking about Alberton I said to Nikki he didn't mention it's the armpit of South Africa um and uh, so uh, you know no one gets excited about Alberton where are you going to live Alberton they go where yeah that's exactly it um but it is it is a city the Alberton that is uh making a difference to this to the south part, southern parts of Joburg and we're, we're excited to be a part of that and uh and, we're, and it is just a great privilege to be with you today so you're ready for the word this morning yeah. so um wise decisions hey uh I think potentially one of the most underrated topics uh, is looking at how we can make better decisions. Most of the problems we have in life, we all know this, almost every problem that we have is as a result of a poor choice. And uh, if we're not careful, uh, we make poor choices without recognizing that we've made the poor choices which is probably worse because when we choose to make a bad choice, uh, that that is really an indictment on our perhaps character or, 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 or our value system. But when we don't know what we don't know, that is a very dangerous place to be. Because unless we recognize the error of our ways or recognize the poor choices we're making, we're going to consistently make worst choices right so there's a process to move forward and and I think what I love about the concept of, of gaining wisdom is that it requires intentionality beyond running or flying by the seats of our pants so to speak it's this idea that you and I have to consciously think about what we're about to do and and that for some personalities is really really difficult and, and if you've if you've ever done any kind of personality assessment you will all know this is that there's some personalities who are deeply committed to thinking about what they say then there's personalities like me. And, and to be honest, you, you know, shock value is awesome. And, and sometimes we have to be careful about what we speak. We have to think about our words. We've got to think about our actions. For some, it's easier than for others. Quieter people, more reserved people have no idea why it's such a big job to watch what you think and say. For the outgoing people, that is a mission, man. Like it's hard work. And we have to work through those processes. But that applies to every part of our lives. Yeah. And that means that we have to pay attention to some things that we might feel or sense the things that we sense to guide us and direct us. So Jace asked me today to speak on a topic which I think is tied to the series, which is so powerful, which is the conscience choice. The conscience choice. In other words, pay attention to the tensions. And uh That is important because tensions in our our lives are really important. The tensions we sense are not just a frustration or a niggle or a nag. They are there for a reason, there for a purpose, and all of us have tensions. And this is key, this is key. Our conscience is tied to these tensions. So someone once asked me years and years ago, um, you know, what does God sound like? That's quite an interesting question. What does God sound like? And, and, and maybe, maybe the easiest way to, to describe that might be that God sounds like the voice in your head that you recognize as your conscience. What does God sound like? And maybe that's important to recognize because if the voice was not the voice you recognize, it's probably our own voices in the form of our conscience. If we, don't, if we heard a voice that was different to that, we might get some help. It would be quite scary. I mean, if you heard Brad Pitt's, in your, Brad Pitt's voice in your head, you'd be like, whoa. I mean, I think, I think James Earl Jones' voice would be pretty cool. Welcome to CNN. You know that old, yeah, that, you know, he was Darth Vader, which is so cool. Trevor, I am your father. Like, be like, whoa, whoa. But, but hey, if it's a voice you recognize, it's, it's a voice that we start to ignore too. Yeah. It's a comfortable voice, but we ignore that voice. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. And I'd like to say that, that some of us are immune to this, but none of us are. So just before we pray, I want to talk today about this conscience choice. Pay attention to the tension. You ready for that? Yeah. So Father, we thank you, firstly, that you love us. And secondly, that you want us to be more like your son, Jesus. Help us today as we go through your word to receive more of who you are, not for our own sakes, but for yours, that we will be better people for it in Jesus' name. Anyone said? Amen. So here's a question. How do we make a choice that's better? How do we make choices that are wiser? How do we make choices that cause fewer regrets? Great question. And maybe it comes down to simple things like this, starting with the idea that when You and I try a food sort that we don't like. We automatically remember we don't like it. Maybe it's repulsive in some way. We don't like it. Uh, And and that reminds us that we should never make that choice again. There's something that sparks it. Now, I don't know about you in Cape Town, but uh, this is really important. How many of you like olives? Give me a wave if you like olives. You need to be saved. You know, the, the, the reality is if you like olives, you need to meet Jesus. By the end of the day, we'll give you an Listen, those things are disgusting. Like, have you, have, if you go back in Scripture, go, go, this, is, this is it. Think about this. Think of this, like, Old Testament theology, like, all the way back. God decided that he would anoint kings using olive oil. Why? Because no one should ingest it. It should be poured out <laughs> over someone, not in someone. Olive Asparagus. Anybody with a, like asparagus? What have you been teaching this church, sir? Listen, that's like elephant snot. Now, question, question. How many, listen, genuine question. How many of you like Avos? Well done. If we go back in scripture, all the way back to the time when Adam and Eve were walking in friendship with Jesus, Eve saw. The fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was good. It was spelt A-V. I don't know how spelled avocado. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. When you see an avo, that is no wonder Eve was tempted. It is such a good fruit. The only question I have theologically is that she's had a bite of it. And you don't really bite through an avo. But anyway, she had a pocket knife. wasn't spoken about. She just... <laughs> But avo is God's gift to the fruit world. Notice that we didn't pour avocado oil over people. So when you eat an avo, you go, oh, good choice. When you eat an asparagus, your body goes like this. Now, the reality is, why would you put an avo on a pizza? Why would you destroy God's gift in the form of starch with an avo? Choices. How many of you like coffee? Give me a wave if you like coffee. Quality work? Quality. Work. How many of you like vodka? Give me a wave. Oh, no, sorry, wrong meeting, bad, my mistake. Wrong meeting, wrong meeting. Every day we face choices. And what's fruit and avos and avocado and and has got to do with this? Just the simple thought that we make choices every single day. And those choices determine an outcome. Here's the problem. We are, a co- we are a composition, if you like, of all the choices we've made in the past. Yeah. And, and later today, I'll t- tell you a few of the choices I made that caused pain and some of the choices I had to make to rectify them. But choices make the world of difference. It's it affects our conscience, changes who we are. So this is important to remember. When we pay attention to the tensions we face, wiser choices follow. When we pay attention to the tensions we face, wiser choices follow. Because God is talking through those tensions, almost always, to help us to recognize that we're about to bite an olive and you need to remember, you bit an olive before. Your body went into convulsions. You had to have CPR to recover from the vile impact that olive had on your system, Trevor. Don't do it again, and oh yes, the tension. Because I like the smell of olives, like livers. I love the smell of liver but I can't eat it. When I eat it, my body, it's just, you've gotta get through your psyche and, and, and our thinking, the process of listening to those tensions. But tensions are necessary. Every tension we face in life is necessary. You know that there's many things in physics that depend on tensions. Bridges require tensions. Opposing forces that hold something up. But flight, the science of flight is no different. If you've ever jumped in an airplane, it's amazing to me how many of us get onto an airplane, but we don't even know whether the pilot passed. And we assume they passed because they're flying, but how much did they pass by? Because let's face it, even if a pilot got 80% for his exams or her exams, that means there's 20% of the stuff they don't know. Now what happens if it's that 20% that happens on the flight now? But tensions matter. So in flight, they're they're opposing tensions. For an airplane to stay in the the air, there are tensions. Here are two of them, just many of them, but there's just two that I wanna talk about. First is is this this tension of drag. Drag is the resistance the airplane experiences due to its forward momentum momentum through air. So drag, it's the opposite tension, if you like, to thrust and acceleration. But then there's another drag, another, another tension called lift. Lift is the opposing tension to gravity. So gravity wants to pull something down. Lift wants to take something up. But it's these two tensions, drag and lift, that work in opposition to thrust and gravity, that help the aeroplane stay in the air. And if and if that plane is to gain greater altitude, so it can go further and more f- more effectively, it needs to overcome drag and uh, and and um. Excuse me, it has to overcome drag and lift more, more, more efficiently so that it can gain altitude. Every single one of us, when we get in an airplane, experiences that every flight, 100% of the time, through the whole duration of the flight. And those two tensions are what keep the aircraft in motion and prevent it from falling out of the sky and turning us into pizza. It's those things that keep us forward. And you know the re- reality behind, behind this is that if we are going to shift it, there are things that we need to adjust in our spiritual lives that have tensions too. And if you and I are going to go to greater heights and we're going to have greater altitude, we're going to achieve more in life, we've got to overcome those same, the very same uh, problematic uh, tensions that face airplanes. So for example, if you and I want to go further, we've got to increase our lift. If we want to uh, go further, we've got to overcome drag. We're going to overcome the things that hold us back and we're going to hold the whole, overcome the things that pull us down we've got to learn to manage those tensions so when a pilot is about to increase altitude a pilot has to do a couple of things number one they lift the nose above the horizon which is the standard level of flight. In other words, whatever level is is measured by this idea of the horizon. So if if, if the airplane is flying dead straight, the nose will be in line with the horizon. If it's going down beneath the horizon, if it's going up, it'll be above the horizon. So if an airplane is gonna gain altitude, the pilot has to lift the nose above the horizon. It's a standard level of measure. This is next what happens, really, really important. If the pilot lifts the nose of the aircraft increased wind resistance, if increased drag takes place, and if it is left in that position for long enough, the airplane will fall out of the sky. Pieces will follow. So what has to happen is in order for the aircraft to continue to gain altitude, not only must the pilot lift the nose of the plane above the horizon, but throttle needs to be increased so that drag can be overcome. So increased Throttle or acceleration is applied simultaneously to the lifting of the nose, and then altitude is gained. In other words, you and I have to do exactly the same thing in our spiritual lives if we are going to gain altitude. We've got to lift our nose, and then we've got to increase throttle. I'll explain that in just a moment. But the pilots don't ignore those tensions, because if they ignore those tensions, the airplane falls out of the sky. A pilot monitors those tensions all the time. They have systems that, that uh, and create alarms if any of those tensions are not well-managed. And they make adjustments consistently to make it happen. You see, attitude needs to adjust in order for altitude to be gained. And attitude is the position of an aircraft in relationship to the horizon on a flight But attitude in our spiritual life is keeping our eyes focused and elevated constantly according to the word of God and the will of God in our lives. It's measuring those standards on a constant basis. In fact, that's how wisdom is gained. We develop wisdom when we lift our attitude and align our attitude to the will and word of God. And when we increase the throttle of application so that we can consistently keep growing. In fact, so important is wisdom that an entire book in the scriptures is allocated to it. The book of Proverbs. There are, everything in, in scriptures produces wisdom, but there's an entire book in scripture dedicated purely to the idea of developing wisdom. In fact, I don't know whether you've thought about this, most of us have, but there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. One chapter for every day of the month. Yeah. So if you and I choose to gain wisdom, if we lift the attitude of our lives towards the standard of God's word, we start to lift our entire demeanor, our choices improve over time, and we become more effective. Proverbs 1 teaches us something really, really simple. He says this, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs. Their purpose, talking about Proverbs, is to teach people wisdom and discipline. Wisdom is nice. We like this idea of we need to have wisdom, but none of us like the idea of discipline. Yeah. But bottom line is, if you and I are going to to gain greater wisdom, if we're going to lift our attitude, if we're going to gain distance and efficacy, we need to be disciplined. We need to have the wisdom that is formed through application of God's word. But more than that, we need to be disciplined in that application. If you and I are going to lose weight, there is no way we can do it haphazardly without any real discipline. We're going to have to work at it. So we need to to go through the understanding that the purpose of the Proverbs is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined, there it is again, and successful lives, to help them do what is right and just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, and I'm so grateful because that applies to me, insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. I'm 27, so that, over the last, so, so that when we have this discernment to the young, everybody can recognize that as we move forward, tenure, academics, experience, none of those things are the determining factor for wisdom. So we might have gray hair that doesn't make us wise, it makes us old. We might have been in an organization for 25 years. That doesn't mean we've got 25 years of experience. In fact, in, in most of my experience, when I meet people who've been in business for a long time, it's not 25 years of experience, it's one year of experience repeated 25 times. Yeah. You and I have to recognize that tenure isn't a measure, age isn't a measure, what is the measure? Let's go through it again. The, the insights of the wise are found When we have a disciplined and successful life, and we do what is right, just, and fair, and these proverbs give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. It's understanding the word of God in our world that provides wisdom, providing, and only providing if we apply it. Many of us hear the word of God, but don't apply it. In fact, I would hazard a guess that every single one of us in this room has heard a message in at least the last two or three weeks that had some profound impact on us, yet we've done nothing about it. I'd like to tell you as a pastor that I apply everything I I, I learn. I don't. That's why I have a wife. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit in my wife, Nikki. And that's what keeps us on track. I was meeting, I met a woman a little bit earlier today who said, I'm the neck that turns my husband's head. I won't mention her name. She's sitting in the front row. I won't mention her name. We're on a journey, aren't we? And if we and I need to gain this wisdom, so what do we do? Two things. How do we keep lifting the attitude? How do we we keep gaining altitude? How do we make wiser decisions? How do we listen to our conscience and pay attention to the tensions? Two, two, Two things in particular. Develop an attitude that hungers for godly wisdom. See, wise attitude is aligned with the horizon of God's word. So the horizon is a standard level of measure for flight, but the horizon of God's word is our standard measure of wisdom. Where are we gaining our wisdom from? What source are we obtaining our wisdom? Can I ask a question today? Are we getting wisdom from CNN, from Fox, from YouTube videos, for TikTok, Twitter, social media mechanisms of all kinds, newspaper articles, magazines? Where are we getting our source of wisdom from? And the reason that's important is because everybody has an opinion, everybody has a view, but how many of those things are accurately aligned with the horizon of God's word? And the question comes down to this, is how hungry are we for it? How hungry are we for it? How desperately do we want to know the truth? Many people say the truth sets you free. Well, the truth doesn't set you free. The truth does nothing for you. Knowing the truth sets you free if you apply it. We've got to recognize that all of those things that we see every day, the words that we read, the, the, the stuff we ingest, the movies we're watching are shaping our choices. That's why when we're looking at our parents, parents if you have young teenagers, Can I encourage us to be extraordinarily wise about what we we allow them to watch? And maybe all their friends have TikTok accounts and let them to watch TikTok. Can I encourage you not to let your kids watch TikTok? TikTok is a desperately evil mechanism to wreck your kids' lives. Yes, there's good things on TikTok, but most of it isn't. And we've got to be recognising, the of the, recognizing of the fact that some of our kids are watching and, and, and developing their worldview, developing their characters, developing their outlook on what they're reading or watching and listening to some weird, dysfunctional people who have decided that they need a platform on some kind of social media uh, context, and they are speaking life or death into the lives of your kids. What are we watching? How many of us watch the news fastidiously? We've got to watch the news because i have got to be aware of what's happening in the world. And yes, there's truth to that. But if all we do is consume what News 24 shoves down our throats, what we're listening to is a, a journalist's perspective on stuff. It doesn't make that journalist accurate. In fact, as we move through life today, we start to recognize that fake news is often distributed by the world's greatest media corporations. So what are we putting into our hearts and souls? Why are people depressed a lot of the time? Why are people anxious a lot of the time? It's not necessarily because there's a chemical imbalance of some kind, it can often simply be that you're ingesting garbage all the time. And if we change what we ingest, maybe something could change. We need a hunger for God's wisdom, look at this. The purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline and to help them understand the insights of the wise. We look at people around us and go, my word, that person is so wise. And yes, they might be, but what made them wise? How did they become wise? What crafted their wisdom? It largely depends on what we're consuming. You see, paying attention to the tensions teaches us wisdom and teaches us discipline. I'd like to to, to genuinely believe that that the discipline needed to be successful in life comes naturally. It doesn't. If you've got teenagers, you know this to be true. If you've got small children, you know this to be true. There's there's not very often you find a teenager who's just so willing to be disciplined. Have you made your bed? Yeah, I'll get to it. And then the bed's not made, or, or will you wash the dishes, or will you take the garbage out, whatever. There's hundreds of things. We're not naturally disciplined. How do we know that? Because if we see a chocolate fondant, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had to work really hard over the last period of my, I mean, I, I love food. Food's a problem. And, and I've had to work really hard, really hard, not to just eat everything I see. Because a seafood diet's wonderful. All the food you see, you eat. I try not to do that. I'm working very, very hard at trying to be disciplined. And then, then I come to Cape Town. And two ungodly pastors take me to a restaurant where they produce fondant. I said no. But it was so hard, so, so, so. And, and my wife, you should try this it's so good it's the best chocolate fondant I've ever had but if you know Nikki every time she goes to a restaurant it's the best restaurant she's ever been it doesn't matter what it is but there has to be some kind of discipline I'd like to have eaten that fondant and I'm not trying to be bra- but listen it was hard eh? hey although I did the day before I have some chocolate thing which was so amazing so I, yeah I'm weak. I'm weak but God's word matters so are we ingesting the right things? Are we disciplined? Here's a question. When last did we spend time on God's word? Not, not in church, because that doesn't count. Can I be a little cheeky? Is that okay? I wonder if you've ever heard someone say to us like this. They've said, listen, well, I had to leave that church because I wasn't being fed. I hope you vomited on them. Because you see, the reality is this. This is where we get life wrong. Why is it the church's responsibility to feed us? That's like saying I refuse to go to Ocean Basket anymore because yesterday they didn't feed me. Well, did you go? Did you order? Did you feed yourself? You see, the church's job is not to feed you. The church's job is not to feed me. The church is to top us up. The feeding happens all week. We read the word. We understand the word. We navigate and study the word. Then we come to church for a top-up. Go back to Ocean Basket analogy. You order a meal and you have a top-up. You ordered the top up. When we come here today, today's a top up. Hopefully, if, if this is the only, the only feeling we've had, you're gonna be starving. You're about to be anorexic spiritually. The, the, church is not, the church's job is not to feed us. The church's job is to top us up, but we fed ourselves all through the week, and we've engaged Jesus, we've connected with Jesus, <clears throat> and we're growing with him. But we've got a hunger for the word of God. We've got a hunger for wisdom. If we don't hunger for it, then don't blame anyone else for the stagnation. We've got to move forward. Because tensions are often the quiet, still voice of Jesus. Yeah. That when we're about to make a decision, we feel awkward, we feel conflict about that decision. And my boy we're going, this is a crazy thing. I want to do this, but I have this nagging feeling I shouldn't. I hate that feeling. I really want to sleep with this girl. She's so hot, and I want to, and she's got, yes, she's, nice and and i and i and i wanna and and i'm just and i and 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 this nagging freaking voice in my head and and then we don't we don't we're like oh wow and then she's like wow how can you dress like that that's a sign and that nagging voice why does that happen because the holy spirit is warning us particularly as followers of christ bad plan bad bad plan But if we don't hunger for wisdom and we don't ingest the wisdom of God, we will never hear the tensions clearly enough. Because tensions are often the prompting of God's wisdom. And if we listen to those tensions, every time we encounter a decision that we need to make, every time we listen to those tensions, we're more likely to ask questions than to demonstrate our knowledge. We're more likely to recognize our weaknesses rather than promoting our strengths. We're more likely to look for insight and understanding before acting. We're more likely to be disciplined. We're more likely to lead lead in a just and fair manner. Leaders who are abusive of power or leaders who are unjust is because they don't see hunger for wisdom. We're likely to make better choices. In Proverbs 1 verse 4, these proverbs will give insight to the simple and knowledge and discernment to the young, which is amazing because IQ and education and social standing and wealth are not important. You don't have to be intellectually stimulated. You don't even have to be intellectually a giant of any kind to have wisdom. Because yeah. wisdom isn't based on academic performance. In fact, I'm sure every one of us in this room has more than once encountered someone who's an academic genius but is of no earthly value to society. Yeah. Being clever doesn't make us wise. Yeah. Being, having an ability to study and learn and get 16 PhDs doesn't make us wise. It just makes us well-educated. And in a society that focuses on all sorts of woke agendas and weird ideas, we start to recognize that wisdom is not even applied to age. Gray hair, as I said, isn't indicative of wisdom. But what happens when we hunger for God's word is that his insight is poured into ignorant, less experienced, or less educated people. And please, when I use the word ignorant, I mean it in the truest sense of the word, not... A, 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 an insult or, a, or, a, or an attack on someone but ignorance by definition means unknowing uh, uh, unaware of yeah. when you and I are ignorant of something and you and I are less educated and you and I are maybe less experienced we can still gain wisdom way beyond our education and, and years and age and experience simply because of the word of God hunger for it Be- knowledge and discernment is given to young people what, what you were doing as Legacy Church with the young people of a holiday club is absolutely beautiful because it develops in young people the wisdom of God over time. I wonder how many of us can pick teenagers out in a room, take any 100 teenagers, the ones that will stand out in wisdom, the ones that will stand out in character, the ones that will stand out with, with value and discipline and diligence are all those kids who are plugged into a local church of some kind who are willing to learn and grow. Why? Because they're hungering for the word of God. They're hungering for the wisdom of God. But you know what's so beautiful is that when we hunger for the word of God, even if we're wise in some degree, Proverbs 9 verse 9 says, instruct the wise and they'll become even wiser. So we become wiser simply because we hunger for more wisdom. And I'm not saying that we only hunger wisdom from God's word, which we should look for, but even more than that. Read more. How many books have we read in the last period of time? Read more. Ask more questions. Position ourselves in a room of highly intelligent people. Never be the wisest person in the room. Never, ever be the wisest or the most intelligent or the most experienced person in the room. If, if that is true, you're in the wrong room. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to always put ourselves in, in the midst of giants so that we can learn how to think like giants and gain wisdom as giants and become giants of industry of whatever that looks like. Connect with wiser people. If you're hanging out with people because they are less wise than you and it feels good about hanging out with people that are less wise than you, can I encourage you, dump those friends, find new ones. Yeah, yeah. Hang out with people that where you actually feel intimidated. Oh my word, everybody in this room is a giant. I wish I was, uh, then ask questions. Hunger for wisdom. And why when we hunger for wisdom, then we start to hear those tensions that we need to pay attention to. Because those tensions, when we're about to make a decision and we feel conflicted by that decision, pay attention To the tension. The more that we hunger for wisdom, the louder and clearer those tensions become. You all okay? Number two, throttle up the application of his word. Throttle up the application of his word. Hearing the tensions and listening to the tensions are two very different things. James 1.23, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like looking at your face in the mirror. You see yourself and walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do, there's the kicker, if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So often we teach this as as churches, and we must be careful of this kind of theology, it's dangerous, that we say, well, just because you love Jesus, you'll be blessed. No. Because you love Jesus, you will have access to God's eternal kingdom in heaven, and you'll have access to his His kingdom on earth, absolutely. Absolutely. Blessed? No. The blessing of God follows obedience. If you and I do not obey, we will not be blessed. It doesn't matter what that looks like. So if you and I are constantly ignoring the tensions and doing what we know that God is calling us not to do or living outside of his moral will, we cannot expect to be blessed. Don't blame God, blame you. I can't blame God when I make bad decisions. That's my, my choice. I made the bad decision. I've got to own it. I've got to work through it, and I've got to change it. And this is kind of really my, my story, because the reality is I grew up in a Christian home. My mother was a deeply committed follower of Christ in one of the more conservative expressions of Christianity, and I grew up, I went to church with her from time to time. When I was much younger, I was forced to go. I hated it. I found church boring and irrelevant, but I heard God's word. I heard it. In fact, I could quote it. And the more I heard it, the more I understood it the less I applied it because it bored me to death because of the expression and my choices. Long story short, I did my national service. I came outside out of my national service and I discovered that life was filled with attractive alternatives and they were wonderful. I'd like to tell you that I, I was you know, ashamed of and regretted those decisions. I, don't, I didn't, and I still don't. I, I lived, I, I, I liked drug usage. I, fortunately, I never took anything too hectic, but I, I smoked heaps of weed. I can tell you, even in Cape Town, where to buy good weed. You can talk to me after the service. <laughs> I smoked weed. I was more than just a little promiscuous. I drank heavily. Uh, it was wonderful, Now, that doesn't sound like a pastor should be speaking, right? You shouldn't do all of those things. I did them. Did I regret them? No. I didn't recognize it at the time, though, that my life was going along a path that would ultimately or could ultimately destroy everything that was of value to me. I enjoyed my life. I enjoyed the partying. I enjoyed the drinking. I enjoyed the drugs. I knew the word of God. I still knew it. Are you with me? Yeah. Then one day, I was sitting at a pub in Ravonia, just outside of Santon, and it was Sunday afternoon, about three o'clock, when one of my colleagues that I got to know very well was sitting with me, and he said to me, hey, listen, would you want to come to my dad's church with me tonight? Now, that was quite sobering in, in the literal sense because I, I suddenly realized, oh, my greatness, this guy who I've been high with and smoked cigarettes and weed and drunk and all sorts of stuff with I'd been high in his house like in his house in his house house and because I'd been exposed to the word of God to some degree I had this misnomer this this weird idea that there must be a very special place in hell for a dude that gets high in a pastor's house (laughs) and I looked at him and I said your dad's what he said my dad's church I said dude did it never ever dawn on you to tell me that your dad was a pastor. He said, well, I didn't think it mattered. I'm like, my is my flashing before me. I think I'm, I could feel the heat on the soles of my feet. So I decided, okay, maybe it's because I was a little drunk and I figured that's, because normally I wouldn't have gone. And, and I went to church and, and as I was driving there, I was processing, what do I do when I see, like this is madness. And I get to the church and, and I hated it it was terrible you know what was happening people were clapping their hands in church there was a band with drums and stuff like that's irreverent there was smoke like dude the only time there should be smoke is from weed in the car what is this happening people were talking to the pot they were like talking back to him like who does that and I sat in this church going, this is bizarre. Now, I love rock music. It's probably my favorite genre of music. And I'm like, this is great. But like the, I'm like, in a church, this can't be right. Yeah. And, and I watched all of this happening. And, and then he said, how did you enjoy the service? I said, no, I'm not going back there. Yeah. And I don't know how to explain this to you, but I woke up the following Sunday and my car drove me to church. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I, I ended up going back. Yeah. A few weeks later, sitting in the back row of a church building, I responded to an altar call. I gave my life to Jesus Christ in that church. And this is what's amazing. I'd like to tell you these stories that you hear so often when there's this beam of light and everything comes right and everybody changes their world and it's instantly over. I didn't. Weed is good. I loved it. Drinking was great. But I had to change the application of my life. You see, knowing the truth and applying the truth are not the same thing. So, as we close, I want to share some thoughts on what I had to do. I had to stop smoking weed. I had to make a conscious decision to stop smoking weed. It was January, it was about five or six months after I gave my life to Christ. I felt God say to me, It's enough now, stop smoking weed. Like you would have thought that that would have been an automatic response, but it wasn't. I liked weed, but I liked Jesus. There's a tension. I had to. Tell a group of friends, my closest friends, that I'm not going to go out drinking and drugging with them anymore. I like my friends, but I also like Jesus. There's a tension. I knew I'd lose some friends because they'd think it would be was nuts, and I did. I lost a lot of friends, but then I had the great privilege of leading a number of them to Jesus as well. I felt God prompting me to contact the women I'd slept with and apologize to them. That's awkward. I, I liked, I liked my reputation, but I also liked Jesus. So I phoned every single one of the women I'd slept with. Some of them were massively amused, thought it was funny that I was phoning them. Others were grateful. I loved Jesus. There was attention. I felt I had to join a connect group. And I'd experienced these kinds of Bible studies, which I thought it was, many times before. I, I had no interest in sitting in a room with a bunch of boring people reading a boring Bible. But I liked Jesus. So there was a tension, and I joined the connect group. 22 years later, I am still friends with most of those people who were originally in that first connect group I attended. I had to become sexually pure. Man, that was hard, oh my word. I like sex, like who doesn't? If you don't like sex, there's something wrong. Sex is awesome. But I also like Jesus. There's a tension. So when Nikki and I met, we kept sexually pure. That wasn't easy. I mean, she just looked at me and said, "Mm, I've got to have me some of that. I recognized my call to full-time ministry. Here's the thing. I love the corporate world. I loved the money, and I earned a lot of it. I loved the rush, I loved the, the entire energy that was required, the, the drama of it all. I loved the corporate world, but I loved Jesus. And I felt God calling me to put all of that aside. I took a 51% salary cut and gave up over 100,000 rand bonus the day I gave my life, I came to step okay, into ministry. There was a tension. You see, ultimately, wisdom is applied knowledge. And if you and I hear those tensions, as uncomfortable as they are, until we choose to pay attention to the tension, we will stagnate. And we'll make more and more poor decisions. Proverbs 1.7, how does a man become wise? The first step is to trust in the reverence of the Lord. So can I encourage you today, if you want to lift to go to new heights, lift the nose of your life and align it to the horizon of God's Word. Apply throttle so that you don't lose airspeed and crash, and apply the Word of God more and more. And as you and I do that, we'll make wiser decisions and have fewer regrets. You've been helped today?